Welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown here today with Sunny Shaw, Executive Director for the Housing Authority in the city of Pocatello. Thanks for being here today, Director. Thank you for having me, Ruth. It's my pleasure. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the eviction moratorium that was extended through July. But first, you work for one of a handful of housing authorities in the state. For those who are unfamiliar, can you walk me through what your organization does? Absolutely. And I love that you use the phrase one of a handful, because literally in Idaho, there are only a handful. In other states across the country, you may find 160 to 200 housing authorities in those states. In Idaho, we have nine. And so we all do um, a lot of great work, but spread out across the state. My organization itself was uh, created in 1968 and basically out of the 1937 um, Housing Act. Uh, you know, the big stimulus of getting the country back to work back in 37 and took until 1968 for our agency to be created. I'm super proud, though, of Pocatello that they did create a housing authority, considering there are few in our state. Um, housing authorities originally oversaw what is commonly known as public housing. Um, quickly after that, uh, the Housing Choice Voucher Program was added, and housing authorities have expanded into other directions as well since that time. But in the city of Pocatello, we assist just under 1,100 households. That is either through apartments that we own or manage and our voucher program, Housing Choice voucher where individuals are able to rent out on the open market and we basically funnel that money from the federal government from HUD um, into the hands of private market landlords. And so we like to say that just under 1100 households have roofs over their head every night because of the work that we do here at our agency. Can you walk me through a little bit about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted uh, housing needs in your area? Yeah, it's, it's had a huge impact and in ways we wouldn't have even imagined. I mean, first of all, as we entered the pandemic, we experienced the shutdown, right? Where everybody was staying at home and afraid to come in contact with other people. That impacted our agency and our ability to go out and do annual recertifications because we couldn't be entering into the homes of our families that we serve. And so we had to quickly determine a way that we could still inspect the units and sure that they were still safe and sanitary without actually entering the units. We were able to successfully do that. Um, and another thing that we saw happen initially was people just weren't moving as much. And so units that would normally turn and become available, when we had households that were out searching for an apartment to rent on the open market, it was more difficult for them to find a place just because there wasn't that usual turnover. And here we are, gosh, uh, 16 months later, 18 months later, and now that challenge has only gotten worse, specifically because of what we've seen with high housing costs. We've seen a huge increase in market, um, not just for purchasing homes, but for rentals. I, I think that the reason why we've seen such an increase in that rental market is because the um, house would normally be able to purchase one of those starter homes that entry level, um, they can't afford that anymore. So they're being kept in the rental market. And so that rental market is tightening, tightening, tightening. And we know what happens with supply and demand. So rent rates are going up. And then you add to that the cost of materials to build. So we're seeing fewer multifamily units being built, again, impacting cost of rentals. And so we're seeing incredibly high rental rates, not just in Eastern Idaho, but you know all across the state. And and it's making it a real challenge 
for the households that we serve um, who are uh, individuals who have lower incomes. And so sometimes they may have other barriers that they face in regards to housing. Maybe they've had challenges with credit or maybe they've had you know, challenges with um, some criminal history or by the bare fact that they don't have very much income. And so they may not be as appealing to a landlord who can get so much more for that rent that rental unit than what they could otherwise get. And so the folks that I serve, the families that I care most about, they're just, they're priced out and left out of the market. And so we're seeing that and then add to it with these increased rent rates, families who would normally be able to afford their rent, now they can't. And so they're gonna be facing eviction. And that was a trend that you were seeing before the pandemic? Yeah, we were seeing the prices going up already um, just because of, the number of people that are moving into our state. We have a, we have an increased population and housing just has not kept up with it. And then the pandemic just exacerbated it. There was a moratorium uh, on evictions put in place by the CDC. It's been extended uh, through July. Can you walk me through how that will impact uh, the folks that you serve? Yes, I can. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of families who are lower income who are going to be facing eviction. A lot of families, uh, you know, because initially they were like, well, I can't pay this month's rent and there's a moratorium in place. And pretty soon next month, if your rent was 500, well, now you owe a thousand and it's not any easier to pay. Now we're looking at four, five, $6,000 that may be owed. And it's much more difficult to pay than that original 500. So we have individuals whose um, rent balances have increased exponentially. Um, you know, if they've been served by a program like my program, certainly they could report that they've had a change in income, that their income has decreased as a result of COVID. And we would change the portion of rent that they would have to pay. But we have a, a, a number of folks who have just not paid rent and maybe not impacted by COVID. Or we have a number of folks who uh, are struggling to get by and, and they've used those funds to go to other purposes and are still going to be facing eviction um, now at the end of July. And so, you know, in, in some ways that eviction moratorium has been helpful because it's helped people stay in their homes. But in other ways, it's made me really concerned about, you know, what is it that we're delaying? Um, are we delaying um, an inevitable uh, without offering the resources that folks need? And they're certainly out there. And I'll be glad to talk with you more about that. But, but I'm just worried about what now happens the end of July. Of course. Uh, you talked about resources. Uh, the housing authorities did receive some money through the COVID packages, both CARES and ARPA. Um, what is that money being used for in your area? And how much did you receive? How much have you used? Sure. So um, we have we had two different pockets of money that we got. Our first pocket was for public housing, and um, it was eighteen thousand dollars. And then the next pocket was in our voucher program, and it was one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And so what we did with that money was um, the first set was uh, you know laptops. Uh, the technology to be able to work from home when we had to do that. Um, then when we got the, the 150000 for our voucher program, um, if you were to tour our office, you would see that we are on top of each other. You know, if you're looking right now at me, you would be able to see that there's a, a desk right behind me. So we have shared office space. And so we were able to purchase a building that is adjacent to our building. And we are in the process of doing a remodel on that building. So we'll be 
expanding our office space so people won't be um, working in the situation like we're in, doubled up in every office. So we'll be able to spread people out so that going forward, um, should there be a pandemic, that we don't have a great as, as great a risk of spread within our own office facility. Um, but, you know, there have been other dollars that have been made available to um, some housing authorities, but um, a lot of dollars, they come in through the state as through to Idaho Housing Finance Association, as well as various cities. So in the city of Pocatello, we got dollars as well that went towards um, rental assistance specifically, and uh, that those dollars are still being utilized right now. They're still available. How much uh, did you receive for the rental assistance and who's eligible for that? So I believe that the city of Pocatello received, a, a, you know, and I'm, I'm just throwing out a number here, but I believe that they received about $268,000. Um, Idaho Housing received a much greater number, but of course, because they're serving bulk of state. And so what they're doing with that is that money um, is, is for emergency rental assistance and there are applications out there available and we have been referring people to those programs continually just continually. And so if it's a, it's a household that is behind on rent um, and can tie it to an impact from COVID. So, you know, maybe they had COVID, maybe they lost their job, their hours were cut because of COVID. I mean, it's really a, a broad qualifier if how it can be tied to COVID. But if they've got delinquent rent, they can fill out an application and go through an approval process that is really pretty slick. I mean, it's pretty slick um, to be approved for that back rent to be caught up and a couple of months ahead to be paid. It also helps with their utilities. So it helps them catch up utilities, which is a huge help. Um, so the money is out there. What my concern has been is despite best efforts to um, advertise it, it just feels like sometimes those in real need haven't heard about it. So we're doing everything we can to try to help get that word out. When we get the calls, we're making the referrals the best that we can so that that money can actually be spent. They do have quite a bit of time to get that money spent. But as you know, you, you talked about the eviction moratorium. There's not a lot of time with that clock ticking. So we need to get people referred to those dollars. I think there is a bit of a public misconception about um, the moratorium. And I hear folks sometimes criticizing individuals for not paying rent. Um, are most Bannock County residents that you assist, do you believe they're in genuine financial need? I do. I do. You know, the people that I have referred, and I've referred a number of them myself in just the last couple of weeks. And when I hear the stories that they share, um, they're tragic. Things that they've experienced during this time, you know, and, and I agree. I drive down the street and I see all the help wanted signs, you know, and that's where some of these folks that are are the naysayers are getting their information, right? Because we're seeing folks who are we're just like, well, there's plenty of jobs. Clearly, they just don't want to work. Um, I, I would push back on that a little bit. And I would say that there are so many households with extenuating circumstances. And until we've walked in those shoes, um, far be it from me to get to place judgment on that. Because everyone that I, everyone that I have referred to the rental assistance program has been genuinely in need. And it wasn't because of frivolous spending. It wasn't because of just choosing to not pay rent. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It does. 
but the families that I have referred, that has not been the case. What do you think the key is to helping uh, the public understand that? You know, I cover Idaho politics and you hear this all the time. I think sometimes they struggle to understand that some folks have lives that are different than their own. Um, how, can, how can we improve that dialogue in Idaho? You know, it, it goes back to uh, something I've said for many, many years. And it's, it's the Idaho way is that we pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? I mean, that's the Idaho way. But that isn't so easy if you never had boots to start with. And so sometimes we forget that there are those among us who just never had the boots to start with. And not only that, there is, there is a skill set in, you know, learning to manage a checkbook. There is a skill set in being able to effectively and efficiently manage your money. And, and our, agent, our agency is working on um, education plans that can help households in poverty learn that skill set because it is learned. We're used to it. You know, I'm used to it because it's what I used to see my parents do. They'd sit at the kitchen table and, and write out bills and balance the checkbook. And that's what I saw my grandparents do. But for some households, that wasn't an example that was set. So that basic component of understanding isn't there. And it's so sad when we're so quick to judge um, for others who weren't given the same privilege that we were given. And it is a privilege. I mean, when we understand um, you know, the basics of how to walk through the maze of life, we assume everybody does, but we don't. And so how do we help Idaho to um, be better at that? Uh, you know, I'm going to say, first of all, it's the education piece, like what you guys are doing, getting the stories out there that are really important and, and, you know, finding someone even maybe who can tell their story. You know, I can talk about what I've seen all day long, but it, it's that story that really matters. And it's also data. I mean, it, it's sharing of the data because uh, I know that a lot of people think that my programs are just, you know, there used to be the term back in the 80s of a welfare queen. And, and that's, that's not the term. I mean, when you look at my statistics of who's on my program in Pocatello, our statistics are about 53% are elderly and disabled. That's a long ways from a welfare queen, if you want to ask me. And, and they're struggling. They're struggling. Social security check just ain't cutting it. And then the next section of them, you know, are working. They're underemployed, but they're working. You know, they're working at jobs that are a minimum wage job that don't have benefits, that are working them just enough hours so that they don't get any benefits as well. They're working. Now, there's some great jobs out there. I've seen, like I said, as I'm driving down the street, I'm like, dang, I didn't know they paid that much now. I'm going to have to raise what we pay. Um, but, but at the same time, we have to realize that the image of, of people served by these programs is not what we have perceived it to be or have been told by politicians for decades that it is. It's just, is not the image. When we're talking 53% elderly disabled and the rest are um, underemployed, you know, if you asked me how many people I have on my program that are just choosing to not work, I would probably say it's around six or 7%, you know, and I could pull those specific statistics, but that's the number I would throw out because it's not that high. It's just not that high. I'm going to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, affordability. Affordability is a huge issue across um, Idaho here in the Treasure Valley, and I know over in eastern Idaho. When we're talking about folks that can't, uh, can't afford to buy maybe their first home or 
uh, rent an apartment with uh, enough bedrooms for all of their children. Yeah. Um, what kind of an income are we looking at? Like the federal poverty wage or? Um... So it, let's let's take a look at it. And I've got the chart right in front of me, in fact. So most of our programs serve um, what we consider very low income. So that's 50% of median income for any given area. So what is, um, you know, that 50% of medium in Boise is different than the 50% of median in Pocatello. Um, so let's say if it is a, uh, a one household, um, one person household, then we would expect that they would be at 22,850 or below. And that one bedroom payment standard um, is an amount that's set by HUD, uh, a fair market rent is 652, okay? So let's focus on 652. A one bedroom at 652, that's rent and utilities. So let's say utilities on that, let's guess low are going to be, um, $75. So to find a one bedroom in Pocatello that's $575 is really difficult. You are limiting where you can live. And so then we're creating concentrated poverty because we are creating the locations where individuals can live instead of areas of opportunity. And so when we talk affordability, at 575 for a one bedroom, when I know of one bedrooms in Pocatello that are renting for 850, you can you can quickly see um, the challenges with affordability that we have. You know that same fair market rent rate is going to allow for a three bedroom in our area to be at about yeah, 900 to a thousand dollars in Pocatello, a three bedroom. You're going to be looking at 1200 to 1500 dollars for something that's reasonable and nice. You know and my families deserve to live in something that's clean, reasonable, and nice. Um, just because you live in poverty does not mean that you should be directed to an area that's highly concentrated in poverty and um, represents that by the housing that's available. You should have opportunity also. So affordability, that tells you the challenge. And if a household is, um, you know, just can't buy a home, they're going to be the ones that are going to be also renting at that higher end. And my goodness, that rent rate for a three-bedroom is more than my mortgage payment. That's how much payments have changed just in the last, because we purchased our home six years ago. That's how much payments have changed. It's just shocking. So it, there, we have a real affordability issue, which is driven by an availability issue. We need more housing built, both multifamily rentals and single family dwellings. Thank you. That was a, that was a really helpful explanation. With vaccination rates going up and infection rates going down, hopefully we're nearing the end of the tunnel. Um, what do you see as the housing authorities' needs for the future? Yeah, um, and I'm so thrilled about um, vaccination rates going up. We have actually at our housing authority sponsored a couple of vaccination clinics for our households in order to be able to get them in as quickly as possible. Our elderly and disabled, we were be able to get we were able to get them priority vaccinations, so we were thrilled with that. Um, the needs for the future are, you know, uh, the state legislature does not fund us, but funding. I mean affordable housing funding. I've talked a lot about the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, which was created by our legislature. And I, I might throw out a wrong date here, but it's been created like over 20 years ago and it's never been funded. 
by our state legislature. Um, I have the unique opportunity to serve as our national association president. It's an elected position. So I've been able to travel to all over the places, all over the country and see how housing works in, in all of the states across the country. And their trust funds, their housing trust funds are funded. And some of the most creative things that I've seen aren't necessarily focused on just development. Um, they're focused on really getting money into the hands of the poorest in the community. The way you do that is through the housing choice voucher program. And so at other states, they've taken money, they've funded a trust fund that is specifically tied to housing choice vouchers that then they've issued to the housing authorities in the state to administer and then report back to the legislatures of how that funding, how many people that funding's helping, you know, how many households they can serve. And, and we don't have that. And at some point, our state needs to take some of that responsibility in getting housing choice vouchers out there. That's something that I've been, uh, anybody that would listen to me, and it's not very many people, but it's something that I've been asking about for a long time is why aren't we funding a number of our own state vouchers? Why not? Other states are doing it and I don't understand why we aren't. Um, I know budgets are tight all over, but until we work to boost people out of poverty, our economy's not going to change. In the meantime, um, evictions could be nearing. Uh, where can we refer people who are um, facing possible eviction and just can't um, pay their backlogged rent? Absolutely. If they're in Bannock County, specifically city of Pocatello, um, they need to contact the city of Pocatello uh, because we, our city has money for that, that they need to get spent. If they're across the entire state, I would have them start by contacting Idaho Housing Finance Association. And when you go to their website, it's like the very first thing that you're going to see is that the big banner about COVID relief dollars. And so I would recommend that they contact them. We're always glad to feel field questions and make those referrals. But you know, why delay by involving another party when you can just make those connections yourself? Money is out there. We need to get the word out that money is available. If you are going to be facing eviction when that moratorium lifts, then um, you need to get that process started now. And, and so that we can make sure that you continue to be housed. Many folks who haven't ever faced an eviction uh, maybe don't understand the financial consequences of that and potential damage to their ability to get housing in the future. Um, what do you see as some of the consequences of an eviction that maybe people don't understand? Yeah, you know, there's a fabulous book out there that's actually titled Eviction um, that talks specifically about this issue. Once a family has a court-ordered eviction, um, that's, on, that's on your criminal history. That, that's pulled up by landlords every time they look at if they're going to offer you a unit to live in or not. It's not just a matter of calling that, having to make the phone call to a previous landlord. It's there. It's public word. And it's going to make it much more difficult for you to get leased up. It's also going to be a situation where if you are on public assistance and you have a court-ordered eviction, you are off of that assistance. So just when you feel like you may need it most, you're taken off the program. And that's why I've been trying to get people to understand that they need to get this resolved before it goes to court because you're going to lose your assistance too. But um, the eviction thing makes it really difficult for you to 
move up long-term. I mean, we all envision like, hey, this is my starter apartment and my next one's going to be better. And then my next one is even better, you know, and you build up and that's the same with home ownership. The minute you have that eviction, you start a downward slide because the opportunities and the nicer units that would be regularly available to you, they're gone. And so now you're actually going to start going with not as nice a units. And so it, it has a long lasting repercussion and it stays on your record. It's criminal history, stays on your record forever and can always be pulled up and you can never erase that stain off your record. Director Shaw, is there anything else that uh, you think our listeners should know, whether it be about uh, the funding that's available or uh, some of the consequences of uh, housing in your area? It's, you know, I've been in housing for 21 years and I have not seen a time like this um, for two things. The first is how scary it is with eviction in Idaho. It's really scary. We are on the cusp of something that can be really life altering for families across our whole state. And I hope that our community members and listeners would recognize that. that it's not just about, oh, well, they didn't pay their rent. If, they, if these families are evicted, the, their trajectory is forever changed. And not just the adults in that household, those children, their trajectories are forever changed because their stability has suddenly shifted and their quality of housing has shifted. So that's the first thing that I would say is I've never seen a situation so dire with eviction. At the same time, I've never seen a time that is full of hope in the way it is right now, simply because of the money that is available to help people through this situation. And so there, there's opportunity to get this assistance and take advantage of it and, and not go down that path. And so to me, that's hopeful. I just really want people to um, be aware of it, uh, remove the stigma from it and refer people to it. Because if, if you aren't supportive of the families who may be facing eviction, you've gotta be supportive of those babies those babies that are underneath that roof that need to be going to school and need to have that bed that they're sleeping in and that stability that a home provides. We all deserve the stability that a home provides. And so please refer people to the programs that can offer them eviction assistance. Thank you for your time today, Director Shaw. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.